So, uh, so I learned something this morning. Hope everyone will learn something this morning, but I learned something this morning. Said if uh, you don't often wear a tie, and people see you walking through the foyer, they'll say, oh, you look great in a tie. You should wear a tie more often. And so I've heard that a few times this morning. In fact, um, I went up to one group of people, and one of the people in the group said, oh, shh, shh, sh- the principal's here. <laughs> now, high schoolers, do I look like I could be your principal? No, they're saying yes. <laughs> you know, I grew up watching Back to the Future, and I remember the principal's name was Strickland. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember if he wore a tie in the school, but I'll have to watch that movie again, Back to the Future. It's a, a good one. But anyway, not what I expected to uh, learn this morning, but um, here we are. Sometimes, though, I do feel, and I'm not sure if you feel this way with me, that there's something, there's something missing in our experience of church. Maybe you've felt that way before, that, uh, you know, Sunday morning we gather and it's great, but then we just kind of, we, we go home and we think, there must, certainly there must be something more to our faith than just what we're experiencing right now. Have you ever wrestled with that question, that I feel like there should be more in my experience of what the church is? We should. We should long for that. We should long for a greater experience of what church and what the community of the called of Christ look like, not just on Sunday morning, but every moment of every day, of every, every week of our lives, that we should, there should be something more to what we're perhaps currently experiencing. This morning, we're continuing in our series. We're calling it the Disciple-Making Experience. And uh, we're going through the book of Acts. And we're looking at how a church that received the Great Commission from Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, to make disciples of all nations, how they took that call, and how from a group of 120 that was with Jesus uh, after he rose from the dead and then after he ascended, became a community that expanded all the way out through the whole of the Roman Empire, such that by the end of the book of Acts, and at the time when the Apostle Paul is martyred for his faith in around mid-60s or late-60s, there's churches planted all over the Roman Empire. What happened in there? That's what we're looking for. What, how did the church grow in that way? Last week, we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we saw that the power for the mission is the Spirit at work in his people. And from that, we see immediately the Spirit leads Peter to preach the first Christian sermon, you could say, to the crowds that were there. That were there. They were marveling because all of a sudden these, these ordinary men were speaking in other tongues. Some were amazed by this. Others thought they were just drunk on wine. But Peter goes on and he shares how all of the Old Testament scriptures pointed toward the coming of a Messiah like Jesus, the very one that they saw 50 days earlier crucified. And the people there, they're cut to the heart, and they say, what, well, what should we do? And Peter responds, and he says, well, repent and be baptized. Place your faith in Christ. And something then amazing happened. It says, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. 
And so we, we come along, and this is what we're going to be looking at here in verses 42, specifically to 47. What happened with those group of 3,000, and how did they come together to create a disciple-making community? What we're going to see is that when the church lives out its mission to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to be committed to the mission of Jesus, God pours out his blessing and people are added to the number daily. So let's look first here at verse 41. This is kind of the end of the section of Peter's sermon. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The people that made up this disciple-making community were the ones that primarily accepted that message on Pentecost Sunday. In Acts 2.5, it says that these were people from every nation under heaven. So this is a multi-ethnic crowd that, this is a multi-ethnic crowd that looked different from one another and sounded different from one another. Most of them would have been familiar with Old Testament teachings, but they were all spiritually infants in Christ. Now if you think about it, there was only 120 that were left from those who were following Jesus. And then now there are 3,000 that are spiritual infants in Christ. So that number goes from 120 to 3,120 in a day. To give that some context for us today, that would be like our church adding 17,000 new believers in a day. It's just, it, it shook everything. You can't go on in the same way now anymore. You, the 120 that are comfortable with each other, you just can't, right? 3,000 are added to your number. So this, this group that we're going to look at in 42 to 47, they're not just old pals who knew each other for a long time. This is a, a, a ragtag group of people now coming together under a common shared identity in their faith in Christ. So verse 42 begins with what they were devoted to. It says they were devoted to four things. To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What does that word devoted actually mean? If someone in the foyer after the service, well, what are you devoted to? How would you respond to that? What does the word devotion even really mean? Devoted means that it's something that you, are, that you continue in steadfastly. For those of you that grew up reading the King James Version, that's actually how verse 42 is translated. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. The same word is used of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, where it says as the time approached for him to come up to heaven, to, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set his face to Jerusalem. He knew what he was going toward, and so he devoted himself to that. He continued steadfastly towards Jerusalem, knowing what was coming. This is what the community we're looking at this morning they were devoted to these things. They weren't just dabbling in them. They were devoted. This is the type of devotion that it took for the early church to go from that group of what became 3,000 to, again, being spread all over the Roman Empire. And it's the type of devotion that we will need as a church today if we want to see similar things happen amongst us. And so the second half of verse 42, it tells you these four things that they were devoted to. Let's start off with the apostles' teaching. What does that actually mean? The New Testament wasn't written at the time of Acts 2. So they, what were they devoted to? 
Well, I think they were devoted to, obviously, the teachings of Scripture revealed in the Old Testament, but specifically as they were pointing towards Jesus. And we know, how do we know this? Well, it's because look at Peter's sermon in verses 14 to 40. What's he speaking on? Three times he refers to the Old Testament. Once he refers to the prophet Joel and how Joel foretold the coming of the Spirit. And then twice he refers to David in one of the Psalms, in in two different Psalms. He's showing the people how the Old Testament, this isn't just a new religion. This is what it's been pointing to from the very beginning the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were devoting themselves to this teaching, this specific teaching centered around a person, centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's sermon in Acts 2, 14 to 40 shows a commitment to the authority of God's word. And it's interesting because sometimes, you know, what, what just happened was something amazing, right? Peter and, the, and the, the disciples, they were filled with the Spirit you would think they would just run with the Spirit in a whole new direction, starting something new. But no, what we see here is that as people are filled with the Spirit, it drives them toward the Word of God, not away from the Word of God. The Spirit drives us to God's Word, not away from God's Word. The Spirit always works in step with what Scripture has revealed, because the Spirit is the one who revealed Scripture to us. The Spirit doesn't drive us away from the Word, but to the Word. The disciple-making community here in Acts 2 was not just a group of spiritually interested people, religious gurus who just wanted to come together around some new teaching that they were going to make themselves. They weren't a new community deciding what was good or what was bad. They came under the authority of the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to it. And that wasn't easy for them in that day. And it's it's not easy for us today either, is it, to be devoted to God's word. Our culture doesn't really love people who are devoted to God's word. Sure, you can, you can dabble in God's word if you want, but to be devoted to God's word, does our culture appreciate that about us, that we stand uh, under the authority of the word of God? In the world we're in, it's, it's hard to be devoted to God's word. Some people in your life Maybe coworkers, friends, family members, they may, they may judge you because you're devoted to God's word. And conversely, if you just dabble in God's word, if you just take some of the things that are pleasant, you know, blessed are the poor, if you take that, people are, are fine with that. They're, they're happy that you're dabbling in God's word. But what about God's word's teaching on human sexuality? Is the world thrilled with us when we say we're going to come under God's authority when it comes to human sexuality? No, they much prefer that we would just dabble in the nice things, but not be devoted to the full full revelation of God's word. But what the world needs today is not a church formed in the image of the world, but a church that's formed in the image of the word of God and following after Jesus Christ, our Lord. The first thing that this disciple-making community was committed to was the word of God, the apostles' teaching. The second thing that's mentioned here is fellowship. They were committed to fellowship. This simply means to share with someone in something. We get a hint of what it looked like for this community in verses 44 and 45. 
says they shared and have, had everything in common. This didn't mean that they were all the same, that they all had the same favorite food, favorite color, favorite hockey team. No, they were, they were different than one another, but they shared what they had. They had everything in common. So what was, what was mine, I shared with you. And what was yours, you shared with me. We shared, we had everything in common. They were friends. They contributed to one another's needs. They ate together. They did life together. They didn't just have a common statement of faith. They had a common life together. They weren't just built, a community built around the truths of the gospel. They were that, but they let the gospel form who they were in community. Later, the apostle Paul, when he's writing to a church he loved, the Thessalonian church, he says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, he says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So Paul wasn't just committed to the apostles' teaching and sharing that. He was. But he was also committed to fellowship with other believers, believers sharing their lives together as well. This was what the early church didn't just dabble in, but they were devoted to. Third, I see breaking of bread. They were committed to the breaking of bread. So this could mean that they were, just sh- they were sharing a common meal together. They got together for fellowship around the table. It could also mean that uh, they met together regularly to, for the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, for the breaking of bread in that way. It probably means both, and they probably did both. And as we go through the New Testament, we see that both of these things were markers of the early church. In verse 46, it says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So sharing in the Lord's Supper together demonstrates the early church was committed to the gospel. And again, it wasn't just the proclamation in the temple courts. It was as they gathered together, they were going to remember the death of our Lord Jesus, his body that was broken on their behalf in the bread, and the blood that was spilled out on their behalf as they took the cup. The early church was committed to retelling the gospel story any way they could, whether through proclamation or for eating together and remembering the Lord's Supper. Their devotion to breaking bread is just a further way of explaining that they were devoted to one another. Think about it when you eat a meal with someone, right? You, hopefully you put your phone away, you sit there at the table together, you talk, you have fellowship, it's slow, it's unrushed. We catch up with one another. We serve one another by, in the preparation of the meal. And as we clean up together, there's love demonstrated there. And in an interesting way, our shared need for food, it demonstrates a reflection of our need for Christ. Physically, if we do not take food, we become malnourished. Eventually, if we don't eat food, we die. Spiritually, it's the same thing. If we don't eat of spiritual food together, we become spiritually malnourished. And eventually, if we never are part of any spiritual activities, we would spiritually die. The early church was committed to one another. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to fellowship together. And they were committed to fellowship around the table. And the fourth thing it mentioned is that they were devoted to prayer. Prayer was something, the early church, again, they didn't just dabble in, they were devoted to it. 
We can see from the book of Acts that there was times where they met together at scheduled times of prayer. And there was also times where they just got together because it was just a way of life that they lived. Look at Acts 3 verse 1, for example, just the passage that immediately follows. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. So there was a time of prayer the early church had where they were going to get together for prayer. It's like this was their scheduled prayer meeting. Perhaps it was daily. But then we also see in places like Acts 1.14 that it was also just a regular rhythm of their life. Acts 1.14, it says, speaking of the disciples, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So there was a group of people coming together to pray constantly. Prayer was not just something they did at times where they really felt need for God's help. Prayer for them wasn't just break glass in case of emergency. It was something they were devoted to. They continued steadfastly in prayer. The early church, they had few material resources. They weren't wealthy. They weren't rich. But they devoted themselves to the spiritual resources that were at their disposal that made them spiritually rich. I've seen... Uh, in my time traveling to different places around the world and getting to visit with different churches around the world, an interesting pattern. It seems like the more material wealth a church has, the less they are devoted to prayer. And conversely, churches with very, like they don't have a church budget, they don't have very much, it's just what the people happen to bring that morning. They're devoted to prayer. Interestingly, And it's in those places around the world where the church is growing. Not the richest churches, the materially poorest churches, but perhaps the spiritually richest churches around the world. I spent uh, two years doing campus ministry in Uganda. Some of you would know this. And when I was there, every Monday morning for three hours was spent in prayer. Every week for my two years there, a three-hour prayer meeting. I don't experience three-hour prayer meetings here in Canada, and it's to our shame, I think. And that the church overseas rebukes us for our lack of commitment to prayer. Again, the church is growing in those places. Why wouldn't we avail ourselves? Why wouldn't we be devoted to prayer? It's a personal rebuke to me as well, as I've come back and haven't continued in that practice as I should. The early church disciple-making community, they didn't dabble in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking bread. And they were devoted to prayer. But let's continue on in our verses this morning and see what did this actually then look like in action, their devotion. So verses 43 to 47 says this, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs performed by the, the many... Wondrous signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So there's a lot going on here in these few verses. Let me just break it up into a few general categories so we can see what their devotion looked like in action. 
the first thing I see is that they ministered both in word and in deed. Verse 43, we're going to start out by looking at what they did in deed. Verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe and the, at the many signs and wonders performed. It was clear to people outside of this community, God was at work. This wasn't just human wisdom. This wasn't human cunning or ingenuity. This was God at work in their midst. As the church was devoted to these things, God was at work in their midst. We see that the Lord was at work through his spirit that gave power to this community. The spirit used signs and wonders as a way to authenticate the message that they were preaching. As we see the book of Acts go on, we see there, it's mainly the apostles. We see Stephen. We see Philip. We see Ananias later as he takes the scales from Paul's eyes. There's a few other signs and wonders. But mainly the Spirit was given in these miraculous ways to authenticate this new message that had come. But primarily the way we see God work in their lives was through one simple thing. Radical generosity. Extremely radical generosity. Look at verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This was a community that didn't just hear about the teachings of Jesus and say, oh, that sounds good. I can memorize that verse. They practiced it radically, plainly as Jesus told them to do. Luke, who's the author of Acts, who, as we know, is also the, the writer of the, the Gospel of Luke, he was passionate and committed to letting us know as disciples of Jesus that Jesus was committed to his disciples being radically generous. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, you just see it all the way through it, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. Luke is the only one that records several stories talking about money and generosity. Luke was the only one that recorded the story of the Good Samaritan, who spent his money on the needs of one of his enemies. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along together, to, well together, but he spent the Good Samaritan of his own accord for one of his enemies. Luke's the only one that told the parable of a rich man who foolishly built bigger and bigger and bigger barns. That's in Luke 12. In Luke 14, he's the one that tells the story of God's great banquet table. And it was those that were busy because they had fields and they had cattle that didn't come to the Lord's table. They were distracted by what they had and didn't take up an invitation of the Lord to his table. Luke alone records the parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16 and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in the second half of Luke 16. Luke is committed to telling us Jesus was committed to his disciples living out lives of radical generosity. And the early church, they simply just took what Jesus taught and they obeyed it. They put it into practice, what Jesus said. Live radically generous lives. Now some of you might be sitting there and thinking, mm, this sounds like communists to me. <laughs> sounds like communism. But it's not. The people had personal ownership of their property. We see this different places. Acts 5 tells the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see that 
the giving was meant to be voluntary. In Acts 5, 3 and 4, Peter says to Ananias, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And here's the key thing. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? So it belonged to Ananias. It wasn't corporately owned. Ananias owned it. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So after he sold his property, it was still on him to be as generous or not generous as he wanted to be. Now that's not the main takeaway from the story of Ananias and Sapphira, but it's important to know there that it's radical generosity that is called for from what God has given you. The early church believed in personal ownership of property, but it also believed in radical generosity in what God has blessed you with. This isn't communism. This is just living out the plain teachings of Jesus. It's reading something in God's word and applying it. And that's what they did. They didn't try to wiggle around it with some sort of, you know, hermeneutical gymnastics. No, they're just like, Jesus tells us to be generous. So we're going to be generous. And the Lord blessed them for it. Imagine that. Disciples are to reflect the way that God has been generous to us in the giving of his own life, in the giving of his own son. You can't get more generous than that. He gave everything. And he's calling us as we follow him to be radically generous as well. So they ministered indeed, their actions. It wasn't just speech. But they also proclaimed the gospel. They ministered in word. We don't see this directly in, verses, in the six verses we're looking at today. But again, if we look at the message that Peter preached in uh, verses 14 to 40, we see this whole community was established on the preaching of the word. And we see that uh, we can assume that because the Lord added to their number, it was through, or it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We know there's only one way to be saved. It's in response to the preaching of the word. You know, Romans, it says, how can they, how can they believe unless someone preaches to them? And so the early church shared the gospel in word and also in deed. So we see they did that in word and in deed. The second thing we see about their devotion is that they met together regularly, both in large groups and in small groups. So look with me at verse 46. It says, every day, not just some days, not just, say just Sunday morning, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I think Luke's main point here is to emphasize they are just meeting together regularly. Community is not an event. It's a lifestyle. Community isn't Monday evening from 7 till 9 and a check. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's part of what we're doing. We live life together. This is what the early church did. They were devoted to this very thing. It says they met often in large groups. It says they met in the temple courts. There's an image there you'll see on the screen of what the temple courts might have looked like in those days. Those little dots are people. There was massive areas of places to come together to sing and to preach and to hear the word, to do ministry together. In a couple places in the book of Acts, it says they'd like to meet together in groups in Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. That just simply means it's the, one of the areas within the walls that would have been covered and they met together 
all in there. Probably some were spilling out, though, I guess, as they met together in large groups. So they have this large group space devoted to, uh, devoted to religious activity where they could come to and they met together, proclaiming the name of Jesus to, amongst one another. But then it also says they met together in small groups. In verse 46, it says they met together in homes. They broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They would eat together. They would pray together. They would sing together. They were devoted to meeting together, both in large and in small groups. Again, it wasn't just a, a once-a-week reoccurring calendar event. Pops up on your phone 10 minutes. Ding! Community time. It was their life. It's how they did it. Large groups, small groups, anytime they could. Met daily. And meeting together this frequently was attractive to outsiders. They wanted to be a part of a community like this. You'll see that in verse 47. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. People were attracted to this kind of community, attracted to this kind of lifestyle. And it shouldn't surprise us in the Gospel of John, it's recorded in, in chapter 13, 34 and 35. Jesus speaking to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are we supposed to show love to one another like this if we only see each other on Sunday mornings? For an hour and primarily it's a crowd looking at a person not together we need to meet in all sorts of different ways the early church did large groups small groups all sorts of different ways however they could and so what was the result of this what do we see happen here look with me at the second half of verse 47 just an amazing unbelievable passage it says and the lord added to their number Daily. Daily. Can you imagine that? Not just weekly, not just like at three baptism services in a year. Daily the Lord's adding to their number. Every day someone is coming to faith in Christ. This is the community I want to be a part of. I want to be welcoming new people into this church daily or weekly as we gather together. These seats that are empty could be filled if the Lord was adding to our number daily those who are being saved. This was an attractive community. They were excited about following the Lord and how he had told them to live. And in response to their excitement, in response to the spirit at work in their lives, in their response to their devotion, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, the Lord pours out his blessing and he adds daily to their church those who are being saved. Evangelism becomes a lot easier when we are living in a way that people just want to come in. It draws them in. So then the challenge remains, what about for us today? The community we see here in Acts 2, 41 to 47, it offers a great challenge to us. We're here, we're in Hamilton, the year's 2022. Things look a lot different than it did then. But what principles can we take from this passage to say, we need to do that too? Or more specifically, for each one of us here this morning, 
What, what do I need to do next to be a part of building this community? This community isn't going to happen because 17 of us say we're going to do it. It's, it's going to happen because every one of us that's listening to this this morning says, I'm going to take a step further into gospel community starting today. So what are, what are some things we can do? We talk about disciples at West Holland being someone who follows Jesus, being, is changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. For some today, your next step into Christian community is actually just entering by faith into Christian community. Today, you're going to say, I'm going to start following Jesus. Perhaps I've been dabbling with Jesus. I've been interested. I'm learning new things, but I'm not sure. Today, I'm giving my life to the Lord. I'm going to recognize that what that early church community built itself around, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, his death on my behalf, I'm going to commit myself to that. I'm not just going to watch it from afar. I'm going to say, I actually need this for myself. I need the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus to come on me. I can't do it on my own. And so today, maybe for some of you here, your next step in the Christian community is actually just becoming part of the community by faith in Jesus. And if you're interested in that, I would love to talk with you after the service, or I would love for you to email me. We can set up an appointment, just talk more about it. Let's do that, because there's no greater next step than this one, following Jesus for the first time. But the second thing I would ask you to consider, and again, everyone in here is taking a next step, so pick one of these things. Or pick another one that the Spirit's laying on your heart. Some of us need to take a next step towards weekly church commitment. Maybe right now, again, you're dabbling with the church. You show up when, you know, you had a good night's sleep. You woke up on Saturday or Sunday and you're like, I think I'll come to church today. But that's not how community is built. A community is built is because... Week in, week out, we're here together, large group, worshiping Jesus together, full of people praising the Lord. When you are not here, we miss you. We don't hear you singing. We don't, hear, we don't see you hearing the word, responding to the message. We need everyone here, week in, week out, committed to the large group worship gathering of the church. It's not, it's not optional. It's, it's something that we've been called to gather together regularly. So maybe that's your next step into Christian community. I'm going to be committed to coming weekly to a large group worship service on Sunday morning, no matter what sleep I got on Saturday night. Thirdly, for many at West Highland, you're committed to coming weekly in the large group, but you aren't connected in small group community during the week. You're not gathering with us in our community groups. Right now at West Highland, we have around 25 of them. A church our size should have 75. So it means probably two-thirds of us aren't committed to regularly gathering in our small group structure where we come together for worship, for prayer, for talking with the word, for encouragement, for practicing the one another's. And so that's, that perhaps that's your next step. In September, we're going to be starting some new groups, and we, we need you to be part of them if you're, not, if you're not part of them. Take that next step into Christian community. And again, if you're interested in hearing more about that, please talk with me about that. Another thing I'd ask you to consider is take the early church's devotion to breaking bread together seriously. 
they were praying and they were studying God's word, but they were also devoted to eating together. Is, is having someone over to your house something that you've done recently? Have you demonstrated hospitality? Have you accepted an offer from someone who's invited you over, even if you were a little bit tired? This is something we need to press into. One of our, the new, one of our new community groups that started within the last year, they've actually decided they're gonna take this seriously, this eating together, seriously. It's a good thing. It's not just someone's bringing a snack. It's not just a bag of chips and muffins. They're coming together for dinner weekly. And uh, Pastor Lee's made a video just to show you a bit of what this community looks like in action. So take a look at this, this video here. What's your favorite part of community group? <laughs> the food. <laughs> What's your favorite part of community group? <laughs> Bell, the dog that jumps at me all the time. Hey. <laughs> oh yeah, here we go, community group. <laughs> Garlic cheese bread, Ooh. chicken parmesan, spaghetti, a big salad over here. Woo. Good times in community group. This is what community is all about. Food, families, and faith. I like community group because we do great talks and it helps me understand. Uh, I'd say that we definitely have a lot of, uh, we can like connect together as a community. <laughs> So coming into community group, we all felt busy for another night. How would you guys respond to that? Well, I think I've appreciated um, being able to kind of share the load as far as who's hosting and who's doing the main course and being able to kind of travel around to different houses each week. Because only once a month do we have to clean our house. That's right, and pick what we're having for dinner. Exactly. Otherwise, we just have to do salad or dessert. Much easier that way. And what about uh, the connections with families coming together? Kids involved, how's that been? I think it's been good. I've enjoyed having, you know, different adults speaking into my kids' lives and also hearing, you know, some of your kids share from their experiences as well. You get to know each other on a different level. Yeah, there's something really neat about having a mixture of young and old in one group because we get different perspectives on almost, almost every question. Half the time we're laughing and half the time it's a really deep understanding of what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of our kids and that younger generation. And it just, it takes a whole new meaning to um, growing together as families and faith. So yeah, this is a, an amazing group of people who have come together and said, we're gonna, we're gonna eat meals together. They, they, there's not just one host of the group. They go from family to family who hosts. It's not like a life group host, it's we're all hosts. And uh, when that host is uh, the one hosting, they're the one that provides kind of the main, the main dish. So, uh, you know, Pastor Chris's uh, family uh, recipe of the Parmesan with cheese and the, the salad there, uh, chicken Parmesan, that's, 
they were hosting, so he provided that, that meal. Uh, but next week, they would go to another house, and uh, they would maybe just bring the salad or something. But they're gathering together around a meal. It's a, it's a challenge to, to those of us who are in life groups right now who, uh, who aren't taking that step, and maybe that's something that we could consider doing in our, in, in our groups. The last challenge I would just give before, uh, before we close here is that, let me just ask you to think about this for a second. There's 120 people that balloon into 3,000. Can that 120 continue doing things the same way? Or do they have to look out for others now? You know, the, again, they were just following Jesus for a few years, but now all of a sudden there's 3,000 spiritual infants in Christ who need someone to come alongside them. My challenge for, for many of you would be consider discipling someone. If this is actually going to be a disciple-making community, it, we need to eat, we need to be around the, 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 the Lord's uh, table, we need to be about the apostles' teaching, we need prayer, but we actually need to then meet with people, share with them around the word, encourage them in their faith. So perhaps my challenge for you is just to, to reach out to someone this week, ask for a cup of coffee and just say, let's get together and talk about what discipleship means and maybe something that we could, we could check out or try out with one another. I'd love, again, I'd love to connect with any of you. We have a disciple-making team here at the church, people that could connect with you and help you get established in this. But we need to be about not just our own faiths, but about helping others come along in theirs as well as we walk along one another. Remember, disciple to someone who's following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. My final thought is just, the community found here in Acts 2, Acts 2 it's attractive. It's exciting. I think it's what we want for our spiritual lives. I don't think we, don't, we want monotony and the same old, same old. I think we want something more. And it's here in Acts 2 on offer for us. We just have to press into it and decide we are going to do this. It won't be easy, but nothing that's worth doing is easy. Things are hard, but let's all commit at least to taking one next step into Christian community further today. And as we do that, let's pray that the Lord would be gracious, that he'd pour out his blessing, and that we would see him add to the number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you this morning. We thank you that, Jesus, you are the founder and perfecter of our faith. We thank you, Jesus, that you haven't just left us on our own as you ascended to heaven, but you sent us your spirit to indwell and fill each and every one of us here who are your followers. Lord, we don't have to do it on our own strength. Help us to lean into your spirit as we look toward building Christian community. I pray that we would be known here at West Highland for this identity-shaping gospel. That people would know these people, they, they love the Lord Jesus. They are following him as he's called them to love others, as they've called them to radical generosity. Lord, just help us with this by your spirit. And Lord, we just pray that you would pour your blessing on our church as we devote ourselves to these four things. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of uh, weeks ago, Lucy Avra was sharing about how there's opportunities for us as a church here to be a blessing to those 
uh, Ukrainian refugees who have come to Hamilton and who are in need of some practical assistance. Uh, after the first service, she was out in the foyer. I think she has a table again there. Um, so if you're interested in just hearing more about how you can be a blessing to those who have had to flee their, their homes with basically one, one uh, suitcase of luggage, um, check that out. That's an amazing way that we as a church and as a community can be a blessing to those around us. And so check that out if that's something that you're able to, to consider. And uh, just as we go, I would just say, I just want to bless us. I just want to see our, our community actually experience this. That it wouldn't just be something we read about and move on to the next chapter, but that we would experience true gospel community, that we would press into it, and that as the Lord blesses that, as we're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, that he would be generous and gracious to us and daily add to our number those who are being saved. Lord, may it be so. Amen.